You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show produced at my home on unceded Wurundjeri lands for 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, and brought to you with the support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth. My name is AC, and today's show is all about killer robots. So, what are killer robots, and what work is being done to challenge their use? To find out, I spoke with Professor Michael Winnikoff, AI expert from Aotearoa, New Zealand and Matilda Byrne, Australian National Coordinator for the Campaign to Stop Killer Robots, and a specialist in international security and disarmament. In my first interview with Professor Winnikoff, he started off by introducing himself and his interest in autonomous weapons. My name is Michael Winnikoff. I'm an academic. I trained originally in computer science and then shifted a little bit to the side to sort of information systems, information science. And um, in terms of my areas of interest, I started off being interested in how we write software using and what programming languages we use and how can we develop better programming languages. And then um, I shifted direction a little bit. This would have been 1999 to start looking at um, autonomous systems and how do we engineer them. And that's been the sort of focus of my academic research for the past, well, I guess 20 years or so now, um, the sort of engineering of autonomous systems and sort of related issues. So it sits in the sort of intersection of software engineering, how do we build software, and artificial intelligence. What makes a lethal autonomous weapon system, um, and you can pick it apart from the name a little bit, is that it's a weapon system that is capable of being lethal, so it has built-in weaponry of some sort, and the key crucial bit is the, is the autonomy, so the ability of the system to operate on its own. And now almost every media article you see is accompanied by a picture of a photo of the Terminator, uh, and that's actually quite misleading because we're not envisioning or talking about systems that have a very high level of capability we're talking about systems that cross a fairly limited bar which is the ability to identify a target and select uh, and make the decision to attack that target and that's sort of crossing the bar uh, across into autonomy which for various reasons one could argue is both uh, morally problematic but also practically in terms of the consequences quite problematic as well. The concern is not about this sort of Terminator scenario, but it's sort of much simpler devices. So there's a brilliant um, and very scary video that um, the sort of group of um, uh, NGOs that are working on this issue put together that demonstrates this sort of... It's done in a sort of news report style, so reporting on sort of actual events in a hypothetical future where there are these sort of small drones that can be used and... They can target individuals based on uh, anything from identifying specific people to perhaps racial characteristics or even linking back to, okay, identifying someone's face, pulling up their profile and finding which Facebook groups they're members of, things like that. 
So it can target, for example, people in the Senate who sit at, who are members of particular political parties. And when you start thinking about those sorts of scenarios, um, it's it's really easy to see how these could be really terrifying weapons and have an absolutely chilling impact on public discourse, democracy, and just the ability of people and willingness of people to sort of step up and, and say something in a public forum. Facial recognition is one of the key components of these sorts of systems. Um, not necessarily always. I mean, you could envision scenarios where the, the system, when it's deciding whether to target someone or not, is not doing it by identifying who they are, it might do it by other characteristics. Uh, I mean, for example, skin colour might be one, or trying to recognise the activity they're, taking, they're carrying out. Um, but certainly facial recognition is one of the scenarios. Uh, I mean, facial recognition itself is also quite controversial in that it's, it can be used for, like a lot of technologies, it can be used both for um, purposes that we'd widely, widely regard as being good, like um, stopping child trafficking or identifying um, criminals who have escaped and things like that. But of course, it can also very much be used for negative um, purposes. Can you explain more about the issue of bias in AI software? couple of issues there. So one is that um, if I have a prejudice, I could explicitly program that into the machine in some way. Or it might be that I don't do it explicitly, but there's some assumptions that I'm making that sort of end up boiling over. The other way that can happen, and this is sort of moving into what's called algorithmic bias, is if I have a computer system that's learning from data, the algorithm might be entirely neutral and carefully done, but if the data reflects a bias, which it very often does because it's based on the real world, that can be learned as well. Um, I mean, there have been all sorts of high-profile cases there, um, ranging from parole recommendation systems where sort of if you're in the US, if you're African-American, you're much more likely to be recommended to not be given parole um, to a human resource systems where they end up being gender biased uh, because, of course, historically, ro roles in jobs do have a correlation with gender. So if you're learning from data, you'll reinforce that. Um, but the, the other um, issue is not just the machines might be biased or reinforce human prejudices, but they're, they're actually not particularly good at a lot of things. We, the AI at the moment, the state of the art, is, is quite is narrow. It can do certain things really well, but it's often quite brittle. The moment you sort of stray away from predictable situations, and if you think about self-driving cars, there have been various accidents where they've done really stupid things. So even in a situation that's challenging, like a car, the machines sometimes get it badly wrong. And a war environment is, if anything, a lot harder, both because of the inherent unpredictability and also, in that case, you actually you actively have somebody who's working against you, trying to feed you false information, confuse you. So that's probably one of the most challenging environments I could envisage. So the idea that AI might somehow be really good at that is just not, not technically feasible. These debates and discussions, obviously, they need to involve a broad range of people with different backgrounds and, and expertise. So I'm not a social scientist, for example. I'm not a politician. I'm not a, um, a lobbyist. So I don't know, for example, very well how NGOs work and how treaties and laws work and how those... But um, one thing that I can bring to the table is the sort of background in AI, and in particular where that can be useful is to counter some of the arguments 
that are made in favour of autonomous weapons. So, for example, one of the arguments that's made is that, oh, but what happens if we can do a really good job and then these robots are a lot more um, ethical than human soldiers because they don't make mistakes, because they can be more precise about what they're targeting? Wouldn't that make war a lot better? So you'd, you'd lose civilian, civilian casualties and other sort of accidents. And you can debate that from an ethical perspective, but there's a much simpler response to that, which is a technological one, which is to say, but that's not in fact feasible. So the idea that robots uh, might be better than human soldiers because they don't make mistakes is actually not true. Robots and computer systems do get things wrong regularly. Um, and it's a simple illustration is that if you try and ask queries of something like Siri or Google Assistant, you'll very quickly realise that all sorts of things it sort of stuffs up on. It doesn't have a deep understanding and it's very prone to make a whole range of mistakes. And then, of course, you lose accountability. So the idea that sort of robots might be much better than human soldiers because they somehow could become infallible, infallible is actually a myth. The sort of state of the art in artificial intelligence isn't nowhere near being able to develop that sort of capability. And it's not expected to be anywhere near being able to do that anytime soon. That was Professor Michael Winnikoff, an expert on artificial intelligence and autonomous weapons. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. We'll move now to an interview with Matilda Byrne, Australian National Coordinator for the Campaign to Stop Killer Robots. I asked her to explain the situation in Australia in regards to autonomous weapons. With regard to sort of fully autonomous weapons and autonomy, it's something that uh, we have here under development at the Department of Defence, and they're really interested in looking at how they can use AI and integrate that into their various platforms, uh, which, uh, in theory, I suppose, is not a problem. But what is really concerning is how Australia is conducting itself internationally. So the Australian position regarding fully autonomous weapons has been since diplomatics uh, talks began sort of seven years ago now at the United Nations all the way through to today exactly the same which is it's too early to support a ban on fully autonomous weapons or lethal autonomous weapon systems we don't support a ban we think it's premature we need to do more research and essentially this position um, grouped with a really select handful of countries so namely the United States Israel, the UK, uh, Russia um, and India is sort of really holding back the conversations from going anywhere in terms of regulating these weapons. Um, So it's very unhelpful and very disappointing that uh, the government here and the Department of Defence can't just sort of rule out developing fully autonomous weapons when we know all of the concerns and risks associated with them. So there's a sort of a whole host of concerns and they span, I guess, moral problems uh, and ethical issues. There's a whole lot of legality concerns as well. So in terms of the lawfulness uh, of these weapons uh, and global stability. So just to kind of maybe develop on that a little bit, uh, for instance, this idea of a fully autonomous weapon totally delegates the decision making of who lives and who dies to a machine. So there's no human control. There's no oversight, ability to intervene when a human is sort of, uh, you know, targeted by the weapon and then a decision is made by an algorithm 
to then deploy lethal force on that target. So just morally, in terms of sort of things like human dignity and the idea that we're comfortable as society to give that role of taking human life to an algorithm which isn't reliable, a machine also just doesn't appreciate human life, is, I guess, one um, reason why these are really problematic. On the things like global stability, uh, having these full autonomous weapons does mean that we don't need to necessarily always send soldiers into war. And this is being heralded by supporters, I suppose, of fully autonomous weapons as a positive thing, like our soldiers won't die. But the really concerning thing about this is it lowers the threshold of war and sort of the risk and the domestic risk of countries to wage war, which means that we know sort of they'll be more inclined to start wars. Uh, And this kind of uh, more, I guess, increased frequency of war and also the acceleration because of the pace of these kind of weapons is really harmful we know in sort of urban context for civilians and just in general I guess the uh, global stability um, and sort of security climate uh, as just a few without going into the more I guess legal side of things. Um, so it's interesting with this campaign there's kind of an approach which is more anti-war and um, calls for war to end and then more um, an approach that looks at a just war or um, reducing war impacts? I guess my view would be that um, Australia will be involved in various conflict in some way to a degree throughout time. And as much as we want as much peace as possible... I think the reality is that we have to accept that, at least for now, war and conflict is occurring, so we need to minimise harm as much as possible. And so, for instance, saying to the Defence Department, you cannot use AI, you cannot advance your weapons, is really unhelpful, uh, and we would get nowhere. So being able to sort of meet on a middle ground and saying, we understand that AI helps your platforms, AI can have really positive impacts, AI can help you clear landmine fields, um, and all of these great things, but we cannot accept AI used for this particular function in killing people in this way. It, um, I guess, puts us on a playing field where we can have a more uh, constructive discussion instead of coming from it as a, you cannot put any money and any resources into developing your arsenal. Because the response in that case from defence is, well, no, we have to do that to be um, in line with the rest of the world. Uh, if that makes sense. Mm. It does kind of bring to mind, I guess, things like the Nuremberg trials and where places that people do need to be held accountable for their actions within war. Yeah, so accountability is this huge concern with regard to fully autonomous weapons. Um, And a lot of people have pointed to this accountability gap because with um, sort of the very legal side of things, uh, accountability can only be held or put on, placed on someone if they could have foreseen what was going to happen and did nothing or let it go ahead. And the problem with using artificial intelligence is this phenomenon of the black box. So when a weapon processes, we don't know what happens. We don't know how it makes its decisions. And so if something does go wrong, and machine error is a huge issue and something that we're really concerned about, but if it does occur, there's no way the person that deployed that weapon could have foreseen an error occurring 
and the wrong person being targeted, which means technically, lawfully, under international law, they can't bear the blame. And so if it's not them, who is it? Can we blame a programmer? Is it the manufacturer? Do we still just say if you decided to use the weapon, then it's your fault? But even just say with drones, we have already a huge issue around um, unlawfulness and culpability and accountability. And fully autonomous weapons is this kind of whole host further where there's going to be even more complications. And I think accountability is really important, especially in warfare. Mm. Um, What would a ban look like? Um, So there hasn't really been detailed discussion at an international diplomatic level about what a ban would be like. Even though a lot of countries have been calling for a ban, the negotiation process has been sort of stalled from starting because of objecting countries such as Australia. So that discussion hasn't happened between governments of the world. And ultimately, they are who would put a ban together and like what the treaty would look like. Um, But there has been a lot of sort of research uh, coming out of civil society and other sort of big international organisations and research analysts. And so... One thing that this is really boiled down to in discussions is this notion of human control. So there must be a human that controls the selecting of the targets and choosing to engage with the targets. And so this is kind of where a ban could centre around. And so, for instance, uh, to put a treaty together that's really comprehensive and future-proof as weapons and technology develops, um, there's sort of a three-stage... Uh, I guess, proposition that's been put forward by the campaign as various elements. So one would be a treaty having a general obligation to maintain meaning human control. So it's like a general statement that means that this is an idea, we all understand what this means, and we have to include this in our conduct and our weapons development and what we deploy. And then more specifically, there would be sort of specific prohibitions Uh, And so this might be something like a prohibition that you cannot um, have a weapon that has face recognition software alone to identify the target and sort of no human input into that, for instance. So sort of looking at technological components or operational components, so maybe where the weapon can be used or in what context, in what time frame, and putting specific limits and prohibitions on that. Uh, And then you can also have, if kind of the international community decides, various positive obligations along similar lines, which is basically saying that you must do this uh, in relation to when you operate these weapons or when you build these weapons. Uh, So they're kind of, I guess, broad brushstrokes along which a treaty could be put together. But ultimately, I guess, the language of treaties... um, is always negotiated by the different government delegations of the world that are doing that process. And um, what kind of work is your organisation doing to campaign for that ban? Um, So we are uh, set in Australia. And so at the beginning of last year, 2019, we launched the campaign to stop killer robots within Australia. And a big part of that initially was just reaching out to other organisations and groups that we thought would uh, want to work with us and support us in what we're doing. But um, really our work is much broader than that. We uh, have been engaging with uh, parliamentarians, so going up to Canberra and speaking with 
politicians and trying to get this on the radar because what we know about the issue especially in Australia is it's something that's very much confined to the Department of Defence the Australian Defence Forces they sort of make their decisions and do their thing and this kind of feeds this government line which is then projected internationally without any parliamentary discussion so it's not something that even our politicians are aware of um, so that's kind of I guess one branch of our work we also do a lot of things with universities uh, both academics, researchers and students, and I guess holding forums, trying to educate people, because a lot of the development of these weapons happens with partnerships between defence and the university sector. And uh, also, gener- uh, I guess, um, trying to generate awareness amongst the general public about this as well, so to try and mobilise so there's more attention on the issue uh, so that we can have see some change, hopefully, in the Australian position. Mm. And how do you see our listeners contributing to that if they did want to um, become involved? Uh, A great way to start is, I guess, to maybe educate themselves more on the issue and follow what we're doing. So we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter and uh, Instagram. And so you can find us at BAN, so B-A-N underscore K-R underscore A-U-S for Australia And from there, there's also like our website. We have a mailing list where we post events. Obviously, at the moment, it's sort of unusual time. So we're doing a lot of sort of trying to spread online content and forums, discussions and webinars. And we will be launching a report soon with an Australian focus. So it'll be the first time sort of Killer Robots is analysed with such a, I guess, um, consideration of what's happening in Australia. And so that's going to be really great one that we want people to sort of read and share when that uh, drops in August. Um, and if people are feeling really compelled, like as they sort of learn about this issue and go, this is really scary. And I want to add as well, this is in a very like immediate future now. When these discussions started, say 10 years ago, it was sort of a future issue, but now it's very much this immediate, this could be starting soon. We could start seeing victims of fully autonomous weapons. Their development is around the corner. Um, writing to your local MP is very helpful Uh, especially at this stage where we're trying to raise this issue onto the parliamentary radar. If people are hearing from their constituents that this is something that they've heard about and want change, um, that's a really great uh, way they can help. That was Matilda Byrne, Australia National Coordinator for the Campaign to Stop Killer Robots and a specialist in international security and disarmament. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced this week by me, AC and brought to you with the support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth. Thank you to both Professor Michael Winnikoff and Matilda Byrne for sharing their knowledge on killer robots. That's it for today. This show was produced at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and distributed across these stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network. You'll find the Radioactive show online at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive And you can get in touch by looking us up on Facebook. In the month of June, we have the 3CR Station Appeal. And I wanted to thank all our listeners who have donated to the station so far. It's been a tough year, and while we've managed to raise $90,000 to date, we are down from the $250,000 we usually bring in each year this time. If you are in a position to donate, please do so at 3cr.org.au or call the station on 03-9419-8377. All donations over $2 are tax-deductible. Thanks so much for your support, for The Radioactive Show, and for keeping Radical Radio on the air.
We'll go out on a song by Nairi called Once, a single that she released in 2015. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future without killer robots.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.